This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you who are watching today, and we may have those watching today for the first time, and we are delighted that you have tuned in to watch. Today we're going to discuss this subject, the art of marriage. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on our telecast, we're offering a free Bible correspondence course. And we'd like for you to have it. And we have thousands of people in the United States. As a matter of fact, we have students in all 50 states. We have students in countries all over the world that are studying this free Bible correspondence course. We want you to have it. And we're going to pause for just a moment so that you can learn how to receive the course so you can learn a little bit more about it. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail. And it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll free 1-877-711-5214 I'm reading now from the book of Ephesians chapter 5 beginning in verse 22 Wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Try to picture in your mind a young couple that's been married for only a year. And the young lady comes down with a, with a cold. And so her loving husband comes to her and he says, Honey, you, you need to go to bed. You need to take care of yourself. And, and and I'll, I'll fix you something to eat. I'll just take care of you, please. You just go to bed. Well, another year goes by, and, oh, she gets another cold. And he hears her sniffling and coughing, and he says, uh, Can I get you something? And 
Then another year goes by, and she gets another cold. And he says, don't you think you ought to go to the doctor? And then another year goes by. You see, they've been married for a while now. And bless her heart, she gets another cold. And he says, why don't you take something for that cold? And then the next year, when she gets sick again, this loving husband says, Honey, after you've fixed supper and you've washed the dishes and you've washed all of our clothes, why don't you go to bed? And then the next year, bless her heart, she's a sickly thing. She gets a cold again. And he says to her with a little bit of emotion in his voice, Why don't you stop barking like a seal? Now, that's the not-so-funny reality of marriage as seen through the common code. Some, sometimes a marriage that starts off with a great deal of love begins to wane as the years go by. Picture a couple here that's about to get married. This young man is just about to pledge his love to this young woman. And the young woman is about to pledge her love to this young man. And finally the minister asks that the young man to repeat after him, and the young man does and finally says, I do. And then the young lady says, I do. And then the minister finally says, now I pronounce you husband and wife. How long will this marriage last. What, what can this young couple do to ensure the longevity of their relationship? You see, we need to learn the art of marriage. In the fifth chapter of Ephesians, Paul lays down some biblical principles that I believe will help us ensure our silver and our gold. What I mean by that, that these principles will help ensure the fact that we will celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary, which would be our silver anniversary, and that eventually we would be able to celebrate our golden anniversary or our 50th anniversary. So do you have your silver and your gold insured? What are some of the things that Paul says to us that would help us make our homes everything they need to be? The first thing that I notice is in verse 25 where Paul talks about a sacrificial love where he says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. The kind of love that he's talking about in this passage is agape love. 
which is the kind of love that God has for us. For God so loved. And we're to have the kind of love that God has. Well, what kind of love is that? Sacrificial love? Jesus Christ gave himself. His love was sacrificial love. May I suggest that as husbands, we need to be willing to sacrifice for our wives. And wives need to be willing to sacrifice for their husbands. We need to sacrifice our time. Have you ever seen the movie Home Alone? The movie about a little boy who's left behind while his family goes on vacation? And it's really a funny movie. And because of all of the different things that he gets into while he's gone away from his parents. And there's several sequels to that little movie. But there are many people that are home alone. Well, I don't mean they're not married. I don't mean that they're divorced. I don't mean that their spouse has left them or their, their spouse has died. They're just home alone. Or oh, somebody else may be in the house, but they never spend any time together. And so we need to be willing to sacrifice our time for our spouse. And then we ought to sacrifice our lives if need be. We ought to put it on the line. But we ought to sacrifice our feelings. We ought to sacrifice our desires for the feelings and the desires of another. One of the great things that is a destroyer of a home is selfishness. But such is not the case when our love is sacrificial in nature. Sacrificial love. But then another thing that will ensure our marriage, that is, it will help us to stay together until death separates us, is that our love needs to be pure. I want you to notice again verses uh, 26 and 27 in Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Paul is using the comparison of a marriage between a husband and wife to the relationship between Christ and the church. The church Christ is the bride and the, and the, or, or the groom and, and the church is his bride. He is the husband and the church is his wife. And there ought to be a pure relationship between Christ and the church and the church is to be pure. He purifies us by his blood. But the relationship that exists between a husband and wife ought to be a pure relationship. The day that one goes to get married, they need to bring purity to the altar. Sometimes the young ladies say, Brother Lambert, you know, I, I'm going to get married when I find the right person. Well, that's a wonderful thing. But there's something that's more important than finding the right person. And that's your being the right person. 
In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Our love needs to be pure. And there is no way to maintain purity in the relationship between a husband and wife if we bring drugs into that relationship. That there's no way to maintain purity in the relationship between a husband and wife if we bring alcohol into that relationship. That there's no way to maintain purity between a husband and wife if you bring pornography into that relationship. And of course, if you bring adultery into that relationship, you have destroyed the purity of the home. It ought to be a pure love. Christians, of course, are to live lives of purity. Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the, and the widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world, James 1.27. We are to stay away from the world. But when we bring the world into that relationship, we're going to destroy our marriage. So it's not only sacrificial love that we have, it ought to be pure love. But then again, it ought to be unselfish love. Look at verses 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. Think about that now. A man ought to love his wife as he loves his own body. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. You see, this is unselfish love. Think about it again. You love your wife like you love yourself. And he says in verse 29, No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes his own body. Here's a man that goes to town, and he spends several hundred dollars on himself. He, he buys himself a, a new suit, the most expensive suit that he could find. He buys new shoes, some of the most expensive shoes that he's able to find. He buys him some shirts, dress shirts to go with that suit, buys ties. And as a result, he spends several hundred dollars. He gets to thinking about it. Now, if I go home with all of these things that I have bought for myself, and I don't take my wife something, she, she may, it may hurt her feelings. Well, can't you understand why she might feel that way if you're spending all of that on yourself and you don't even think about her? So he decides the thing he will do is he will stop by a store and see if he can find something that he can take to her. So he takes his wife a $10 present. Now you think about it. Here's a man who just bought 
himself clothes that amounted to almost $1,000. And then he takes his wife a present worth $10 and he says to her, here, honey, just wanted to let you know how much I love you. I don't really think she's going to be too impressed. Here's a man thinking more about himself than he was thinking about anyone else. Before I went off to college, I worked for International Paper Company for a little while, and I would observe something on payday. I would observe some of the men getting their checks, and they would go just down the street to a check exchange, and then after they got their checks cashed, they would go across the street to a place that was called the Rocket Club. And there they would spend and spend and spend on alcohol. And there were some of them who when they left that club did not take enough money home in their pocket to feed their family. That, my friend, is being selfish when we think only of ourself. In Greek mythology, there was a lad by the name of Narcissus who began to see his reflection in a pool of water and he fell in love with himself. And sometimes there are those like Narcissus who fall in love first of all, with themselves. They're thinking only about self. But the kind of love now that will hold you together for the rest of your life as husband and wife is an unselfish love. But some only think of self. And that's the taproot of the problems in our world today is selfishness. I am convinced that selfishness is behind every war, that it is behind every evil thing that is done in this world. As a matter of fact, I've said for a long, long time that there's only one sin, and that's the sin of selfishness. You try to think of a sin that is committed, that in some fashion is not rooted in selfishness. I've not been able to find one yet. If you find one, please, please let me know. I believe this is the taproot of problems in our world where people are thinking only about themselves. And that will destroy, that will destroy your family. A young couple came to me one time, they were having difficulties. So I sat them down and I asked her, and I said, now what seems to be the problem? She says, well, all he wants to do is spend our money on fishing rods and reels and tires for his pickup truck. And I said to him, what seems to be the problem? He says, all she wants to do is spend our money on cabinets to go in her kitchen. I said, your problem, the problem with both of you, 
is that you want your own way. And I said, both of you are just selfish people. And if you don't overcome it, it's going to destroy your relationship. And guess what? Eventually, it did. The kind of love that will hold you together is the kind of love that God had and the kind that Jesus had. Jesus had an unselfish love for you and for me. He emptied himself in the form of a servant and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself unto death, yea, the death of the cross. Philippians chapter 2. He was on an equality with God, but he, but he gave all of that up because he was thinking about you. And he was thinking about me. You see, we need to have this unselfish love. And we have to work together and pull together and be together to make this thing called marriage really work. I read this one time about a, a little country church where young couples would go frequently to get married. And once the ceremony was over, the, the minister would take the young lady just outside the door of the church building and he would put a rope in her hands. And he would tell her to pull the rope and that rope was attached to a bell in the belfry and by pulling on that rope, she would announce the fact to the community that she and her husband were now married. And so the young lady would pull with all of her might, but she wasn't able to pull that rope by herself. And then the minister would bring the young man out and he would tell him, you grab a hold of a rope along with her. Both of you pull on that rope. And as they both would pull on it, the bell would begin to ring. And the message to them was this, in life, if you will pull together and work together and think about the other, other than yourself, you're going to be able to survive all of the difficulties and all of the disappointments and heartaches that you will have in your marriage. Yes, the love we have ought to be an unselfish love. But it ought to be a nourishing love. Look in verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. Now the word nourish means to feed or to make healthy. Sometimes we might say that a person looks malnourished. We simply mean by that they look underfed. They don't look like they're getting enough to eat. And we need to feed our relationship. And we need to feed our relationship with this thing called love. And remember that love suffers long and is kind and it envies not and it vaunts not itself and love is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not its own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. You see, we need to feed or nourish our relationship. And many marriages are malnourished. And then he says, uses the word cherish. And that he will nourish and cherish it. I have long believed that if you are treated properly at home, then you'll not look 
for another. We need to nourish our relationship with our husbands and with our wives. But then the kind of love that will keep your marriage together is an unending love. Unending. Look in verse 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. So this is an unending relationship. There are many things in life that end, but this will not end. How long will this marriage last? Is it going to last until you get bored? Is it going to last until you, you, the, the bills begin to pile up? Is it going to last until trouble comes? Is it going to last until the children are grown and, and now you're left alone at home with just the two of you again and you find out that you're strangers? You don't even know one another anymore. Oh, you need to cher nourish this relationship and cherish one another. And we need to have this unending love one for another. It's a till death do you part relationship. The day that you stand at the marriage altar may be the day that you determine your eternal destiny. And I would encourage you, if you're about to get married, to marry someone who will help you go to heaven. To marry someone who will encourage you to love Jesus and to love God and to, and to do right, to live the Christian life. Because your eternal destiny depends upon it. Yes, there indeed is an art to marriage. Someone wrote a little poem entitled The Art of Marriage, a Wilfred A. Peterson. Let, let me read it to you. He said a, a good marriage must be created. And it, it's the little things that are important. Uh, he said, it's never being too old to hold hands. It's remembering to say, I love you at least once a day. It's never going to sleep angry. It's having a mutual sense of values and common objectives. It's forming a circle of love that gathers in the whole family. It's speaking words of appreciation and demonstrating gratitude in thoughtful ways it is having the capacity to forgive and forget. It is not only marrying the right partner, it's being the right partner. That's the art of marriage. Are you a Christian husband, Christian wife? Please become one today. I want to thank you for watching today and until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.